right. It's ready to go. I've also learned, so I figured out where a lot of the hoarseness in my voice is coming from. Hmm. Apparently I'm severely dehydrated because I'm on a blood pressure medication and a diuretic. Oh dear. So there is just no moisture in my body anymore. There's nothing. I okay. couldn't figure it out. Yeah, I'm I'm foregoing alcohol today. I hope you are too. <laughs> I oh I have a giant jug of water. Good, good, good. Because <laughs> I oh my god. I couldn't figure it out. It's like, why am I so hoarse still? Like I'm not coughing, my throat doesn't hurt. And it's like, oh, I take two medications now that completely just drain my body of liquid. Which fun fact. I told my auntie about my last doctor's visit. Oh, what did she say? Uh, there was a threat to throw hands. I really just want to hear your auntie sing, do you want to fight me? Like- yeah. Like, like, yeah, like exactly like that TikTok song. Yes. Like, that's my aunt. That's my aunt. She's like, yeah, I don't like this lady. So. I don't know if we talked about it on the podcast last time but there was a doctor that got really really weird about some stuff and it was one of those things where it was absolutely unnecessary yeah i was the victim of medical racism yeah where uh, i had a doctor who was white uh basically just like look at my symptoms and not ask any questions about me or my lifestyle or anything else and was like desperate to get me into tests into the ER which would have given her money so yeah that wasn't fun it's not fun not being listened to by your doctor and there's like a lot of little things that she could have done to ease my suffering that she didn't do in hindsight like I was obviously short of breath I was offered no breathing treatment I was offered no prednisone nothing and like those are little things that you can do that would have made everyone's experience much easier rather than trying to tell me at 30 I have congestive heart failure. Well on and the DL because he'll probably kill me if he ever actually listens to the podcast. My husband spent Sunday night in the ER because he wasn't able to breathe. Surprise, he has asthma. Right. Um, which we're finally treating. But like, as soon as, as they walked in, they're like, well, your COVID test shows that you're, you don't have COVID, which was the guy who admitted it, like started to do the admissions paperwork. He's like, you probably have COVID. And he's like, I just was tested for COVID. I don't have COVID. I don't leave the house. Right. I think something's wrong with, with my breathing. And he's like, no, it's probably COVID. And the doctor's like, it's not COVID. And he just goes, here's some prednisone. He started feeling better almost immediately, but like, exactly. My husband is obviously a white man and he goes in the doctor's like here's some prednisone you're probably fine yep prednisone's great opens everything up prednisone like i don't mean to sound like a druggie on maine but prednisone is great the only real side effects he's had i mean he's starting to breathe easier now which is good but steroids make you hungry and I'm so thankful right now that he's not a type one diabetic. Cause I've, I've had so many friends who are type one and it's like, 
then they tell her to give you steroids and you're like, well, my blood sugars are going to be messed up for the next like six weeks. And, I, uh, but you want to eat everything. My first time taking prednisone because my grandma used to take it for her lupus. So it was like always in the house. I always knew about it, but it wasn't until I was in college. I actually, I think I got like walking pneumonia or like bronchitis. Oh, I know. So I was at the ER. I was like, Hey, I have asthma. It's probably bronchitis, whatever. So they're like, we're going to give you a prednisone shot here. And we're going to give you some pills. So I was like, okay, cool, whatever. So I'm being a tough guy. I roll up my sleeve and I have like my best friend at the time with me. He's a guy. And it's like, and the doctor does like the weird like nurse ratchet thing where it's like, oh no, not there. <laughs> Cause they can't give you a prednisone shot in your arm. Oh. Cause it will dissolve the muscle. <gasps> no, thank you. Yeah. So you have to get it in the butt. So all of my bravado is gone. My ego layeth bare on the floor. And I have to like hike my leg up like a sad whore and pull down my pants. And my best friend is just like, I want to forget this, but I know I can't. I remember being right after I broke my ankle doing roller derby, which is a less exciting story than it sounds and I had surgery and everything, I got an infection in my leg. And I remember going to like urgent care with my mom and I was already just so depressed and so over life at that point. And they go, we're going to have to give you antibiotics, but we're going to have to give you the shot in your butt. And I just looked at him and I went, I looked at my mom square in the face. I go, whatever, this is fine. <laughs> the best. I, like, I don't want to deal with you anymore. <laughs> the best part about getting prednisone in college was um, after leaving the hospital, which will triangulate the location. I tore up a Taco Bell. <laughs> I, it was like the old Tasmanian devil cartoons. I fucked up a Taco Bell. Cause we were hungry. We'd been in the ER. There's no have, judgment. I, oh God, I fucked up a Taco Bell. My sister once stole a, t a chair from Del Taco. So that's a, it's not Taco Bell, but there's, there's no judgment. You go in, you get that food. <laughs> and then the pills were great. Cause I think it was like finals week. So I oh, had nothing God. but energy and wanted nothing but food. It's like it was like the greatest week of my life and I could breathe. <laughs> All right. So you want to do, oh, happy black history month. Happy Black History Month. Where so, they continue to give us the shortest month of the year. Which, what the fuck, man? Um, so we are reading Invisible Man mm -hmm. by Ralph Ellison. Not to be confused with The Invisible Man, which is a, depending on who you are, a sci-fi story that is very, very good, or meh. That's H.G. Wells, I think. I just remember Claude Rains evidently is the one who played him in the movie. I don't know. I could be wrong. Um, it's been a hot minute. But it, was it Wells? I don't remember. I, thought it, I think it's Wells. At least I don't know. Does it it's matter? Been a hot minute. No, not really. Um, so I'm calling this episode A Spear and Sword in Harlem, which will make more sense after the short story long. Um, 
I know that you have a large thing of water. I just had McDonald's spicy nuggets and a Diet Coke. That's basically life right now for me. (laughs) I've never had the spicy nuggets. They just brought them back. They're good. This is not an advertisement for McDonald's. (laughs) It is H.G. Wells. Ding, 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 ding. Yay. That English degree is finally paying off. (laughs) Guess I better go put mine outside. All right. So short story long. Mm -hmm. The narrator who does not give his name at all during this book begins to describe his life as a black man. He discusses the fact that the world around, to the world around him, he is invisible. He's currently living in the closed off portion of a whites only building and has turned the walls of his rooms into rows and rows of light bulbs, which sounds kind of cool. I think that would be a really neat art installation. But also but, uh, like your light bill. Well, he takes really good pride in the fact that he is tapping into the electrical grid for free. Oh, even better. Cool. And he keeps talking about that because evidently they screwed him over when he was following the laws and obeying when he was younger. And so he's like, hey, you know what? Screw it. They can afford it. I'm fine with this. The narrator describes how he wanted to go to college really bad, but he couldn't afford it. So in order to earn his scholarship, he had to be part of a bloody battle royale where he fought blindfolded with a bunch of other black men for the entertainment of white men. But after being beaten bloody, he still had to deliver a speech with a mouthful of blood in order to get a scholarship. So... The narrator ends up going to college. He takes a job as a chauffeur. And one day he drives a man named Mr. Norton, a wealthy member of the college board of trustees. And Mr. Norton has time between meetings and asks the narrator to drive him around the area. But the narrator accidentally drives too far off campus and comes to former slave huts and the current homes of black people near the campus. So still, they're not being treated very well. They have pretty crappy homes. The narrator ends up telling a pretty horrific story about a man who got both his wife and daughter pregnant and Mr. Norton insists on talking to the man in question whose house is like right outside the car. When they get back in the car, Mr. Norton is like obviously shook and he asks for whiskey because he feels he is quote being overcome. With no real idea of where to get whiskey in the area, the narrator drives him to a local bar, which is evidently a really bad idea because the bar is currently filled with prostitutes and a single orderly who has brought in local mental patients for their day out. The mental patients lose their crap and overwhelm the orderly, Mr. Norton, and he ends up getting injured, like a weird scrape on his head, and the narrator rushes him back to campus. But the college president, Dr. Bledsoe, is a complete dick about the whole situation, even though Mr. Norton is like, okay, it was fine. It wasn't his fault. And Dr. Bledsoe blames the narrator for showing Mr. Norton the underside of black life and expels him from the college. He gives him a handful of sealed letters, which he says are letters of recommendations and tells him someday he might let him back into the school. So the narrator goes to New York and hands out letters of recommendation, but he can't figure out why he's not getting a job until the son of one of the guys who's working as a secretary at his dad's firm goes, you know what this letter says, right? And he says, no, I, I didn't open it because I was told if I open it, it's a, it like will look bad. He says, um, he says that you were expelled and he has no intention of ever bringing you back to the school. And oh, so no. ov- obviously the narrator is pissed and upset and like, well, what am I supposed to do now? Um, Thankfully, the guy who shows in the letter is like, hey, you know, they're always hiring at Liberty Paint, which is weird because Liberty Paint is known for their super pure white paint. Awkward. Anyway, yeah, 
at first he works in the shipping department. He just has some issues doing that with the like testing of the, the paints because nobody tells him what he's actually supposed to do. Then he gets sent to the boiler room to work, but the main boiler attendant, Lucius Brockway, is super paranoid and thinks the narrator is there for his job. Of course, this gets worse when the narrator accidentally walks into a union meeting and then Lucius Brockway freaks out, attacks him, and tricks him into setting off an explosion in the boiler room, which obviously blows people up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the narrator ends up in the hospital, and while he's there, he undergoes shock treatment because the doctors say he must have mental problems. Yeah. No, he literally just got blown up at like his first job. Anyway, um, he leaves the hospital, faints on the streets of Harlem, and thankfully is taken in by an old woman named Mary Rambo, who reminds mm-hmm. of a lot of his older Southern relatives. So he's very happy about that. There he encounters the eviction process of an old black couple, and he makes a speech that causes the crowd to attack the local law enforcement who are trying to complete the eviction. The narrator manages to escape the situation, but runs into a guy named Brother Jack, who is a leader of a group known as the Brotherhood. This group is big on mm-hmm. trying, on quote, trying to better conditions in Harlem and across the world. The mm-hmm. quotes are important now for a reason. So the narrator agrees to join them because he says, hey, this seems like a good mission. I'm going to make some money. I don't really have an option because I don't have a job right now. And mm-hmm. he goes to speak at some rallies. He is able to pay back Mary and he moves into his own apartment that's paid for by the Brotherhood. Which is funny because he's the one who's really, really good at speaking at rallies. He gets really involved with the crowd. They love him. But every time he does a speech, the Brotherhood is like, mm, we, you know, if you could tone it down this way. And, oh, you're just not really prepared for this speech. And, and it's like they're not really doing anything. So things go well with rallies. He gets really in-depth with indoctrination. He talks about the group methods and what they believe. So, of course, this all becomes kind of a problem when he runs into a a dude named Ross the Extorter, who is a Black nationalist who thinks the Brotherhood is actually controlled by white people. She's probably not wrong. Mm -hmm. The narrator and another guy named Todd Clifton aren't really swayed by Ross's words, but they still get in trouble in front of the Brotherhood for, quote, putting his own ambitions ahead of the group. He is reassigned to another party of the group that focuses on women's issues, but of course he ends up getting seduced by the wife of a Brotherhood member, And then Todd Clifton goes missing and no one really seems to be looking for him. Mm -hmm. The Brotherhood is more concerned that they're losing influence in Harlem and their membership. So the narrator takes it upon himself to go search for Clifton. He can't find him, but he ends up finding Clifton on the street selling dancing Sambo dolls, which are, I, I found a picture. I'm not putting it up because it's awful, but they're basically these paper and string dolls with super yeah. racist, exaggerated features that look like a caricature yes. of a black person. Um, there is a uh, really, really good video on the take that's a cinema's racist history, and it goes into all of those old black stereotypes from like the coon to the sambo and stuff like that. Um, as a black person, I learned something. So literally, it's it's perfect. So if you want to explore this stuff. Um, Two notes. One, don't use any of this language in front of people. No, do not. This is not okay. It's not. It might be a little bit okay in group, but out group, we will fight you. Uh, and then two, uh, it's kind of rough just because, yeah, then you realize that like all of media is racist, which is what Black people have been saying for about a hundred years. Ever since uh, 
what is the line from American Gods? Those Dutch motherfuckers. Yeah. Started bringing like, people over. Right. Like, like that thing that people of color have been saying for approximately 100 years. But uh, continue. But we're like maybe now actually hopefully starting to listen. Hopefully. But we've seen this before where there's this upswelling of white people going, I'm willing to listen and then not doing shit. Tori, I had a doctor perform medical racism against me. Exactly. In the year exactly. of our Lord, 2020. It's, I have it's no so faith in anyone. And, and understandable. Understandable. <laughs> so evidently Clifton has become incredibly disillusioned. The narrator tries to stop him. And then we have a very, very common sight. The cops step in and shoot Clifton when he resists arrest because he hasn't done anything wrong. Um, the narrator ends up giving a rousing speech after Clifton's funeral and rallies the crowd to the Brotherhood's side inexplicably. But the Brotherhood says that the narrator is making unscientific arguments and is not helping their cause. He realizes that the Brotherhood doesn't really have any interest in supporting the Black community or helping their problems. He goes back to Harlem, but he's trailed by Roz's men. So he ends up like going into the store and getting a hat and sunglasses. And mm -hmm. for some reason, everyone thinks he's this local guy named Reinhardt, who's evidently a local gambler, lover, and spiritual leader. Cool. I was like, wait, pastor? What the hell? Um, irritated, the narrator realizes that Reinhardt has adapted to white society. He is inspired to be dishonest and just tell the Brotherhood exactly what they want to hear about membership. Mm -hmm. he seduces the wife of one of the members to try and find out what's actually going on he ends up chasing her around harlem because she's drunk as shit um there are riots going on due to unrest so he has to try and get her into a cab to get her someplace safe and he realizes the brotherhood has been counting on all of this to move forward their goals mm -hmm. he ends up running into a gang of looters that burned down a tenement building they do go in and tell a pregnant woman and old people to get out before they do it, but it's actually mm -hmm. where a lot of them live. So that's really awkward. Um, the narrator wanders away from them and finds Ross, who is now riding a horse with a spear and a shield and calling himself the destroyer. Ross demands that- And I have no questions at all. We're gonna leave that person alone. I'm just saying Killmonger did it better. Anyway. Mm. Um, Michael B. Jordan was really pretty as Killmonger. Anyway, so <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be that person. I promise. Uh, Roz demands that the crowd hang this narrator, which is like, what the, what? Why? But mm -hmm. after basically throwing a spear through Roz's face, um, he falls into an underground coal bin, is sealed in by two white men, and he ponders the racism he's had to deal with. But the epilogue, he is coming back to the present and says he spent enough time hiding out and being underground and he's ready to find a way to share the voice of those who are seen as invisible yay ow yeah it's... somehow black history month always hurts and i don't remember it hurting when i was a kid because we would just read like one poem from maya angelou I was the other day I was like okay I saw that this really great list that was online it was about films involving black actors and directors that don't mm -hmm. just reinforce generational trauma and I was like mm -hmm. oh that sounds like such a good idea and there's like maybe, three movies I was like maybe we can find a book and I'm like oh 
Um, I mean, I'm reading a book right now that's kind of a romance novel called Honey Girl that features mm-hmm. um, an LGBT character who is Black. Oh, cool. And it's really good so far. Uh-huh. Um, it's not out yet. It's going to be out, I think, next month. But it's oh, okay. like positive and interesting. And it talks about, you know, feeling like you have to have this whole set out plan because you don't want to disappoint people. And I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. I don't know. Anyway, it's you know what? It's so weird because there's a portion of me that understands perpetuating the generational trauma because otherwise, like, we'll forget. I used air quotes. Uh, but also, like, that hasn't been my experience. Well, we talk about the Holocaust every year on Holocaust Day, and there's still people who don't believe it's a thing that ever happened. True. And there's a lot of people who still minimize um, slavery. Uh, also not ours. There is a John Oliver video about U.S. history that talks about that a little bit where it's like we still so do you know the book i hate the most that isn't a separate piece or jonathan livingston siegel what so it's called a birthday cake for mr washington i've never even heard of this book so it's like a children's book and it's george washington's birthday and all of the slaves are getting together to make him a birthday cake because he's such a chill guy like he's such just like a chill guy that they're gonna all come together and make a cake for him. And he's so appreciative and treats his slaves like people. And it's like a really heartwarming children's story that's just full of propaganda. Okay, I'm 36 years old and I can still remember (laughs) my grandparents saying, well, our, our relatives several generations back had slaves, but they were happy there. And me being like, I don't think that that's true. Think, um, but but being like, um, what? We love like, we we as an Americans, not we as in Black people, because we've been angry for years. But um, y'all white Americans sure do love to make slavery sound like. It was just a chill way to give black people pants and Christianity. It's and that's not what happened. And <laughs> this is why you cannot just stay in your little bubble your whole life. Yeah, otherwise you get a birthday cake for Mr. Washington. This is why you read and you read things that aren't necessarily what's shoved down your throat yeah it's not necessarily just something that you're like oh well you know I really like this novel and I'm not Mm -hmm. gonna be rate romance novels because I feel like that is really cruel because women have an interest it's like we don't make fun of well we do make fun of the fast and the furious movies but we don't make fun of the fast and the furious movies for men being interested in them yes we do all the time we need well I'm just saying we need to stop making fun of people who are excited about Bridgerton like I no don't yuck people's yum dude i hate that phrase but here we are like i okay i can get that i can get that oh one more side tangent when i was at mount vernon me and my aunt had the best tour guide i'm pretty sure her name was actually becky 
and we were getting to like the slavery portion because they really pushed that back. We don't want to talk about the slave stuff anymore. Oh yeah, I, I went there as a kid and there was yeah. no discussion like, of the slave thing. I mean, there's all. a lot of material there because like they recently like a rededication, like they're trying to bury as many of the people as they can ethically. Like there's a lot there, but no one wants to t- talk about it. Like it's not a part of the main tour, but like there was a little snippet and Becky was like, I'm not going to tell you and your aunt how bad slavery was. And we both just looked at her like that Jackson Galaxy cat blink, like the long <laughs> cat blink of like, thank you. I appreciate that. Because yeah. that's not how either of us wanted to spend our weekend was having an old white woman tell us how bad slavery was. It's like, we know, we're aware, we know. Thank you. <laughs> so there are so many themes and symbols in this book like this is this like i wish nathaniel hawthorne had been able to take a class from ralph ellison which would he listen to a black man probably not but i'm just saying because they don't feel forced and it's beautiful like at least in my in my opinion i may be wrong to somebody else but i think he does a really great job of combining information mm-hmm. about civil rights and mm-hmm. feeling invisible and mm-hmm. just different aspects of society without it being like, me. yeah, it's not like there's a giant A comet in the sky. Like, <laughs> I think that's one thing that like every person needs to come to grips with is that the individual you put on a pedestal was probably violently misogynistic and or violently racist. Like I ruined my rhetoric teacher's night one night because she was like, if you could like open up your own field school in, in transcendental America, where would you? It was like, I would be in the field. No one would let me in. I was gonna say that that's, that's pretty accurate. Right, like it's, <laughs> it's just like, I would be in the field, but like, no one's letting me in to learn with books. Like, <laughs> like, no, Nietzsche never wanted to meet you. He hates you, probably. Yeah. Plato's probably not interested in you. Tesla definitely doesn't give a fuck about you. Tesla's like, Le- please leave me alone. I have birds to make into lasers. Anyway. Yeah, I have a laser pigeon that may or may not be real. So one of the things that struck me really, really hard in the very beginning is when they're Mm -hmm. in the battle royale right beforehand, when the guys are Mm -hmm. walking in and they're nervous and scared and about to be blindfolded, which is already fucked up. Mm -hmm. There is a naked woman who is dancing Mm -hmm. and the way that the narrator describes them looking at her and the way that he describes them looking at them is very, very similar. It is this completely dehumanized Mm-hmm. expression it is this way of being like these are not people to me these are symbols of how high up i am right um and how they basically like throw a check at him and give him yeah. a briefcase and how he carries that briefcase with him forever mm-hmm. because it's like that's his his like connection to okay well if i play the game and i do what i'm supposed to do maybe this will all work out for me mm-hmm. but what's interesting is every time he tries to do that everything goes to hell 
I mean, that's the black experience, yeah. but like, but there's, um, so considering that I've watched Django Unchained, I think like six times in a week. Um, How? I don't know. I just, my finger slips and it's on. Like, I go to find something else and it's Django Unchained again. Uh, there's a lot of really, really gross talk about black bodies mm-hmm. going back hundreds of years. So that animalistic description down to the fact that they were sold like cows, like it's, it's, there is a one historical uh, precedence. And then also, if you look into like black exploitation movies into the seventies, there's a lot of that as well. Like actually one thing I've always said about Django Unchained, there's one word that they use that I'm more uncomfortable with than the N word which is Mandingo. Oh, God. Because that has such a gross connotation for Black men. Like, I I was way more offended at Mandingo than I was, like, the copious N-word. Because it's, like, I think it's set, like, two years before the Civil War. There was no other word for Black people. That's fine. I used air quotes. <laughs> but, like... Don't call anybody the N-word today. Do not do it. Or, or ever. I'm really like struggling no, I mean, like, to think. I mean like today in this day and age is what I meant. Oh, not like, like, not like just really for today. Sh- like Okay. No, I was really on, struggling. This is, <laughs> this is ongoing. And if y'all are Tuesday, wondering yeah. why, I got, fine. why I got weird about when backed up on the Michael B. Jordan thing. I mean that he's a beautiful, beautiful human being and a man. I think he's gorgeous. This is not a I'm looking at a black body and being like, hmm, or calling. Yeah, it- she's not she's not fetishizing a chocolate devil. Yes, like- please, please, please. Like there's a whole part in in that show Archer where they have it's an episode called Diversity Hire. Don't do anything that anybody in that show does. Just don't. OK, yeah, just blank. Just blanket advice. Yeah, just, um, just do not do anything that Mallory Archer does. OK, thank you. My my. My my irk with Killmonger has always been one. I didn't like that performance because it felt like he wasn't trying. It did feel a little like too much. Like Michael V. Jordan just walked on stage, and it really like it's a dissonant clash between him and everyone else. Like it's not like a oh like fish out of water clash. It's like you are not on the same level as everyone else who's here. And then that last line, that last line where he really thinks he's saying something and he goes all death before dishonor. And I like, I have like a visceral physical reaction to that. Cause I know how many black men and black women have done things under that banner and it's dangerous and it's reckless, and it's scary. And it's like, you just brought that forward to so many people who don't need it. Why? And that's not his fault. That's the director and the writer. But like, I was like, okay, you've kind of redeemed yourself again. And then he says it like, ah, oh, fuck, never mind. Um, there's also- Yeah, there's a lot of- Yes. Sorry, there's a really good book that's coming out too called Why Wakanda Matters. So if you all are 
interested in this kind of discourse and what's going on with that definitely recommend picking that up when it comes out i think end of this month sorry did you hear did you hear about the the white people that were salty about that one uh georgia airline that had flights going to wakanda no so like a lot of the movies set there and a lot of the directing is there because george is great um and there was like i think it was georgia international had like a fake like concourse saying like going to wakanda and there's like a bunch of people who were like and mostly white people who were like wakanda's not real blah 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 i can't believe you do this it's like if you guys are also watching marvel movies asgard's not real from what we know like let it's called film marketing y'all and and georgia gives really good credits as does new mexico and texas so and it was good film marketing because like shit and there was a flight to wakanda let's go toot toot like (laughs) bags are packed let's go but oh my god salty white people are my favorite thing but yeah uh so there's a long history of uh fetishizing black people in a unique way also look at literally any of my dms on dating apps yes oh my god amanda shows me the things that she gets i do when you're focusing on on the dating stuff yeah or when i email validation oh my god (laughs) people are are crazy like okay i remember i remember that world because five years ago i was in the same position um my biggest fear like i i told my husband when he eventually does pass away i'm not dating again I'm not doing it. It's not worth you're not, it. You're not using our time, the 50 plus dating surface. No. You know what I'm going to do? I'm probably going to write a bunch of books. I'm going to form a cat ranch. I'm going to live somewhere out in the country where I don't have to interact with people I don't want to. Like, I have amazing female friends. I have amazing male friends. I do not want to date again. Tori's going to go build some kind of like weird lesbian commune out in New Mexico or Arizona. Okay, there is a huge chance that I will accidentally create a cult at some point in time in my life. I'm okay with that. I mean, but you're yeah, like also my first that lieutenant, take, so of course you're okay with that. Yeah, but that take video also goes into um, fetishizing of African bodies as well. Uh, and they bring up the Mandingo stereotype. So uh, the only reason why I'm being brief about it is because it's something that like is literally too close to home for me. Because yeah, like I get fetishized a lot by other people and not just white people like black men will do it too sometimes where it's like i want you to be my nubian goddess like what what the fuck does that mean where's nubia what are you talking about what the fuck (sighs) so one of the other major symbols (laughs) sorry go ahead also fun fact don't ever try to ascribe an African place to an African-American because even if we've had like the DNA test, we don't know or we don't care. And I'm going to tell you right now too, Americans, when we go to another country, when you say, oh, I'm like 30% Finnish or I'm 10% Welsh, nobody gives a fuck. They're what actually going to look do? at you like you're crazy and tell you you're American. I had that experience in Scotland because our whole group is all like, oh, I'm descended from Robert the Bruce. Da, 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 da. And they're like, one, you're probably not. Two, you're American. Shut up. Scottish people are right. really good about 
tearing you down for a moment and then handing you a drink and saying, okay, let's hang out. And I love it. That sounds my people. It's my people. Well, not. So the narrator not having a name, I think, is a huge deal. Mm -hmm. That he remains nameless through the entire uh, story. Because then we don't have a way to connect with him. We don't have a way to refer to him. And it really just feeds into that invisibility of not knowing, of not being able to connect or not being able to trust. Um, also goes back to slavery where many people were removed of their names. Mm-hmm. Or um, also goes back to uh, Staten Island where many more people were removed from their names. Yeah, there were quite a few people who came through and like a lot of the skis, a lot of the Ukrainian and Russian names got shortened mm-hmm. down very dramatically. Mm-hmm. Um, I think which is best illustrated by an American tale. Mm-hmm. It could be like Ivana Skonsky or something. It's like, Skonsky, that's your name. Like, what? Because Don Blue still hates children. What's interesting, too, about the narrator's name is, one, we never know what his name is, but he makes a big point of telling us that the Brotherhood changes his name. Um mm-hmm. Which is another one of those things where, again, tying back into that concept of slavery, of, oh, we're here to make your life better and the lives of Black people better. We're mm-hmm. going to change your name and your identity. Also, you right. live here now and we control where you live. But it also, like, just going back to naming, because I know, like, at least for me and my family, there is a reason I have a white presenting name. <laughs> it was for success purposes, because I'm a lot less threatening as an Amanda than an Alakisha, which is just racism. It's, it's, it's just it's just flat out racism that we associate names like that with being ghetto or lower class or less intelligent. But like, there's a reason why my name is what it is. It's so that I could be as Eurocentrically pleasant to white people and thus not be perceived as a threat. Now, when they hear me say I'll throw hands 50 times, then they know I'm a threat. We're not throwing hands today. (laughs) But nothing else perceives a threat. Oh, did you hear about the disrespect that I endured during lunch yesterday? No. So I ordered Chipotle because I'm a basic white woman. (laughs) And I ordered a quesadilla. And when I went to go open it, it was cold. And I was like, okay, that's weird. They gave me a raw quesadilla. It was just unmelted cheese in a tortilla. The hell? Just the utter, the sheer and utter disrespect of you Chipotle. Anyways, uh, you want to talk about white paint and skin bleach? Yeah, I feel like we're, we're hitting on a lot of the few, few. Um, so the whole thing when we're, we're talking about this is about Liberty Paint is they make mm-hmm. a big deal about talking about their super white paint, especially mm-hmm. the fact that that is the paint for the government, which I think is yes. hysterical. Um, yes. When... He, he he gets fired because he does not keep the the right quote right shade he uh puts a different chemical in uh which i think was a 
uh, like a dissolver kind of thing. I can't think of what it's called right now, which I should know. My husband used to do this stuff all the time, but um, it makes it less that pure white. And Mm -hmm. it is a very big thing in culture, especially in India and, um, and quite a few places around the world and here as well, where people will buy skin bleach because it is seen in certain caste systems and also the United States as well, where you know, the lighter the skin, the more clout you have, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was also seen, and, and Amanda, I'm not trying to, to rain on your parade on this, um, oh. where basically if you were a lighter skinned black person, mm-hmm. a lot of times you were able to either pass or get away with certain, not get away with, you know what I mean? You were able to do certain things that someone with a darker skin wouldn't be able to do. And yeah, even so- today, that's still a thing. Yeah, so that's called colorism. Um, in a lot of societies, um, light skin has always been the beauty peak. So I actually use a skin bleach. It's called Ambi. Um, and it's great if you have hyperpigmentation like I do, but it's a bleach. It's a bleaching agent. Um, and my great grandma used to use it. And I will never forget my great grandma looking at me and saying, I'm glad you're not a darkie. Like she said that to me. So what do you do with that information? Where you're just like, okay, grandma. Thanks grandma. Like, uh... But that was during her time, that was a huge concern. If you were too dark, you were not seen as trustworthy. You were more scary. And well, you're obviously not, but like, you know, perceptions during like the 1940s and 50s in panhandle texas bless her you know being light-skinned makes you more palatable in a lot of ways like colorism is a sneaky thing and what i think is most insidious about colorism is how much in-group colorism there is so like black people to black people if you're too light you're not trusted but if you're too dark you're not trusted like, I mean, it's like you you don't really control your skin color. It's no, your you don't. Freaking melanin and how it appears in your skin. Like there was a, you know what? I was actually, I was at an event with two other black people and someone wanted a photo of us. And of course the photographer was not of color. So did not know how to photograph black people because it's an art. And uh, the two ladies that were with me were darker than me. And uh, I think the lady used the flash, which please don't use flash on black people. It's racist. <laughs> don't, don't use, do not use flash on black people. It's an actual hate crime. Um, so I stand out a lot and they don't. And one of the women said, Amanda got that day glow over there. And that's and- a colorist statement. It's funny. <laughs> but it's a colorist statement. I realize that none of our listeners can see how often I cover my face and just shake my head. <laughs> I mean, same TVH. But um, yeah, it's a big deal. Like it's a, it's a really big deal. And yeah, you see it a lot in India. You see it a lot in Asia. You see it a lot here in the US still because we still only push forward a very certain kind of black beauty 
which is Beyonce right now, when you could have a Lupita. Lupita Nyong'o's right there. Gorgeous. Oh my God. The last couple of days have been me fawning over like older black actresses. Oh my like, God. Angela Bassett. I was. So Angela Bassett is the chief of the ER in the last season of ER. But it's like, it's like 2000s Angela Bassett, where she's like a sassy auntie and she's like buff and she's kind of stern. Oh my God, Angela Bassett. And Carrie Washington. Mm hmm. Just, geez, black women are amazing. Anyways, um, but yeah, like it's a weird thing that exists and a lot of folks don't like talking about it. But uh, yeah. And I that also like being. Hmm? I was gonna say that also ties into our next point about society, how they view black people and as well as how the black community interacts with it as well. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if we'll ever be able to like postmodernism our way past racism. Yeah. I don't know if that's ever going to be a thing. I, I wish I'm we hopeful. Could. I'm hopeful. I mean, yeah, I mean, but right now I'll say this, as a black person in 2021, it's either just abject racism or patronizing white savior, which is also racist. Mm -hmm. And like, there's people in between those, but like, that's the two most common like stranger interactions is either just like flat out go back to africa it's like okay or just patronizing white savior like your people have been through so much my people live in the suburbs we're You're fine like, we're from arlington <laughs> yeah like my my people are fine what do you mean what do you mean my people Whomst people are you referring to? But it's been this way since the slaves were freed. Just no one knows how to view other bodies than white. And it's scary and it's frustrating. And it's frankly exhausting. Because black people sure do know how to treat white people. Because <laughs> we don't want to die. There was a there was a survival skill that got loaded up in there. Yeah, like there's a oh my god, like a code switching, which is because I think you've seen me code switch. Mm -hmm. I have. Tori has seen me code switch, like in real time, because I'm trying not to get killed. And that that kind of ties into that concept of dual consciousness of I'm here this is yes. who I really am, but this is who I yes. have to be so I don't get shot. Right. Or accused of being a, a loud, mouthy black woman. I've, I have seen you, I have seen you look and then tone it down about 15 bars. Yep. Whether, and it's just because I, I see it switch in your eyes of, mm-hmm. Tori and I can talk like that. My friends and I yep. can talk like that. I can, and he, he, I mean, I know, I know too that you, you have a, you still, you still do it with me too. 
Yeah. You still have, you, I, I don't know if you feel like you have to, but you still do it with me too. You talk differently to me than you do to other people. And I, I, I get that. I get that. Like, that's not a critique. I, it's just, it's interesting. It's very interesting. Well, I think a lot of it also mostly is just fundamentally the conversations that black people have with black people are not the same right? as we would have with white people. Mostly just because like, I'm going to, this is going to sound so condescending and I don't want it to, you will never get it. <laughs> right. I won't. Like, it's, so it, yeah, it's like, it's not even done like, because trust, it's mostly just like bitching about society, which we already do. <laughs> but like, with, <laughs> it's mostly just more bitching about society. But it's like, it's stuff that like, I couldn't ever explain to you why this matters on a level that it makes sense. Like I can tell you about Juneteenth. I can't make you feel why that matters of just like a month of black people. Like, hey, my cousin said we were free. No, you're not. Okay. <laughs> like my cousin wrote us a letter and said, we're supposed to be free. No, you're not free. What are you talking about? Get back in the field. Like, but uh, dual consciousness is a uh, Du Bois, where it's basically how do you balance being one African American and one being an American, or two being an American, and that's something that I've increasingly struggled with as I get older and as I get angrier. A uh, fun fact about me and my family that you've heard me mention a million times: we were involved in the the Tuskegee syphilis study. And my great aunts and their activism has been really inspiring for me. But it also makes me very angry, which is not something I've never really experienced as an African-American because I'm also fairly privileged and have not been in a field that I didn't want to be in. So it's been increasingly difficult to look at this country with the kind of jingoistic pride that I'm supposed to, to fit into the in-group. Like it's, eh, eh, it's hard. Uh, another video plug is uh, Epic Rap Battles of History. It's Thomas Jefferson versus Frederick Douglass. And there's a lot of great lines about that. It's like, what are we as Black people celebrating on July 4th? And like, that's a great question. What are we celebrating? I know I go hard for Juneteenth and I go hard for civil rights days and stuff like that. But like, what is a Black person celebrating on July 4th? We don't care. We were still, we were still enslaved. So Dual consciousness is interesting because it makes you think about all the personalities and all of the stuff that goes into being Black. And I think, and this is one thing I will give Tori massive props for, is coming to understand when I say I'm tired, this is why. Here are all the things that I've had to do just to not get shot raped in an alley, <laughs> sexually assaulted, 
fired at work because of some bullshit trumped up card. Here are all the things I had to do just to survive from the code switching to the being very quiet to the meticulous care of my physical outward appearance. So I'm approachable and not scary. And even like then, that when was you're some... sick, you can't rely on a doctor actually looking at what's wrong versus no. their initial response. No. Like, that was something that was so beautiful seeing in Tori was, like, that coming to terms with, like, oh, fuck. This is rough. And, like, knowing you've always had that empathy in you, but, like, seeing it in real time. Like, it's like, you've seen me code switch. I'm just more mad that you still have to deal with it and that I know you're exhausted and you have a million other things that you'd rather get done than have to sit there and be like, okay, how do I gauge the situation? And it's, it's something you have to do as a Mm -hmm. woman presenting person. Mm -hmm. Um, It's something you have to do as a black person Mm -hmm. and that combo effort. Holy crap. How are you not taking a nap four times a day? I, I wish I could. I would rather be explaining anti-popes to old church ladies. That was fun. Which was fabulous. And they loved that. Yeah. That was the greatest thing ever. But, um, so we need to talk about vis- vision and invisibility. Yes. There's a lot of uh, places in here where either vision or eye motifs are used, like being blindfolded before a fight or the glass eyes of people or not seeing things clearly. Um, I know none of you go to school because I can see our analytics, but <laughs> just in case, uh, that kind of stuff's important to mention because, again, we're talking about an air quotes invisible man. So we're going to be talking a lot about like vision being obscured and things not being what they seem, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I'm not going to run with that too far because we talked a lot about eye shit during Ed Allan Poe. And with it too is is like in the beginning where he has created this wall of light bulbs so he can have his shadow and see himself versus mm-hmm. being in the coal chute where there's no light and he's mm-hmm. like cannot see a single dang thing and he's having to like crawl through. Mm-hmm. Like Shawshank Redemption. Oh, oh there's parts of, sh- oh, I love Shawshank, but there's like, I, I was in college and they put it on TV and it was funny because you could tell when people were getting out of class because it started off with one person yeah. and then like three more people came in and soon the entire room was just filled with everybody in our dorm watching Shawshank except one guy who walked in and goes, I fucking hate this movie and walked away. And we're like, you don't hate this movie. You just don't want to be part of the crowd. All right. I just made a reference to Shawshank because uh, I was on Discord with a friend and I mentioned that I either wanted a quesadilla or Chinese food and he said, I read that as a quesadilla or cheese. <laughs> so we just came to this conclusion of like me with a giant wheel of cheese. And he's like, for some reason, I imagine you having a spoon. He's like, not a knife. He's like, no, a spoon. I'm like, and I said, am I just like Shawshank redemptioning my way through this wheel of cheese? He's like, yeah, exactly like that. <laughs> just picking away violently at this wheel of cheese. Uh, I don't want to talk about the war. Okay. I, I will do it for you and you can chime in as you feel. Okay, um, thanks. B- 
because we're going to talk about police shootings too. And uh, I know all of this is, we've already talked about a lot of exhausting things. I know it's a lot. It's um, okay. I chose the book. It's my fault. Y'all, this is all stuff that you can, can research and I highly recommend that you do. Yes. Um, World War One and World War Two. well, mostly World War Two. we had a lot of um, soldiers, Black soldiers go and fight in units. They were amazing. They kicked ass. They came back. And the country that they left was still acting the same. So yeah. while we had a bunch of white soldiers come back and have people go, thank you for your service. Here's a bunch of this. Here's some this, which is great. And I wholeheartedly think if, you know, somebody's going to make that sacrifice that they get treated well. Unfortunately, that's not the case in the United States where our VA system is fucked. Mm -hmm. um, I know way too many people who have had to wait way too long for services that they should have. Um, what what's, was really scary is basically people went and fought and died and got injured and they came back and it was like, eh, okay, whatever, go back to, go back to doing what you were doing. Here's your low wage job. If you can find one, mm -hmm. um, one is where it, it got really, I mean, it got really bad too. And the fact that people were struggling to find jobs. And if you are missing a leg or missing an arm or have some sort of major facial trauma, you're already going to have a harder time. Mm -hmm. Um, there were also the concepts of in the in the book too you'll see he gets a letter that's basically don't go too fast which tells mm -hmm. him to slow down his efforts because you know he's getting all these people to kind of join the brotherhood in harlem that was a real thing that happened all the time usually in a more threatening manner um and that was even on the side of you know white people who said that they were in full support they would send letters to civil rights leaders and say hey you're going really really fast you're going to want to slow this down because nobody's going to be on your side so and you will you hear that to this day mm -hmm. with so black people in business being told to tone it down and relax and keep realistic visions of the future still a very 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 big thing that happens all the time screams into bag police shootings now this is something that we could do two hours on so i'm going to keep this real short i don't think we could do two hours because i think one of us would start crying oh yeah yeah i think it'd be, be crying. there'd be crying and then just like it would be 45 minutes of swearing yeah and just indistinct anger uh so police shootings a thing we've literally never solved since we invented the police to enforce Jim Crow laws. It's it's fucked up. We've talked multiple times on this, this show about Amanda going to visit family, getting pulled over, freaking out, very mm -hmm. being as sweet and polite as possible, hands on the steering wheel, packages mm -hmm. in the back for Christmas, mm -hmm. worried that the cop is gonna think that that's a dangerous weapon. Yep. Yep research it learn it mm -hmm. real uh, or look at the statistics realize why there's so many people looking for new methods of how to do safe holds how to um do proper training when it comes to weapons when not to pull a gun which is more often than is a thought um again this is a huge deal it's very very important mm -hmm. um in this book we have um, todd clifton who is basically just being a salesperson on the street mm -hmm. he gets into an argument with the narrator mm -hmm. a cop shows up 
And then as basically Clifton is saying, no, I didn't do anything and trying to get away from the scene because he's like, oh my God, this is going to go bad for me. He gets shot. Um, yeah. Um, I would definitely encourage all of you to look at this current apotheosis um, because police shootings are not real. I think out of all the things that like Trayvon Martin, everything brought to light was that this is something that again, black people have been saying for at least a hundred years. And no one listened, but now we have social media and cameras and you can't deny what's going on unless you're a fucking idiot. And it used to be that laws were not designed to protect what or anybody but white people. Like I'm not trying yeah. to be an asshole there. It's legitimate. There's no, it's actually just true. A, a really good fiction book um, called Root Magic by Eden Royce. It just came out. Mm -hmm. And this is shameless plug because I know Eden and Eden's amazing. Um, but there's a whole part where basically this deputy comes to their house and just tears everything up. And mm -hmm. it's happened so many times in their community that the mom just holds the kids and says, do what you need to do. Look for what you need to look for. Mm -hmm. We'll be outside on the porch. Right. Um, it's a scary time right now. Not just because of the pandemic, but like police shootings are still on the forefront of a lot of people's minds because they're still happening. Like there's, they're getting less coverage because there's other shit going on, but like they're still happening to people and cops are still not facing consequences. But I think one of the biggest things that if I could instill upon anyone is to understand why black people are angry. So when we shout ACAB, this is why. When we say defund the police, this is why. Like, it's not just us out, like, trying to be hoodlums. And the thing about defund the police, they're not saying, let's completely disband the police. That's not what that is. No. What it's saying is that there needs to be more funding taken away from things like, why the fuck do some cities have, like, the equivalent of tanks? Yeah, why do you need a bear cat? Yeah. Why does he... Why does any police department need a bear cat? It's the idea of taking funds and putting them into certain areas, like help for mental health, help for mm -hmm. particular organizations, like where um, for social work and that kind mm -hmm. of stuff. Um, honestly, I'm a I'm a big supporter of that. I, I don't. I, I just want to say, like, I don't hate the police. I love our county sheriff. Okay, he does so much to stop human trafficking out here. That's mm -hmm. not where I'm going. I'm coming from on here. What I am saying is that there are things that need to be addressed and they need to be addressed now. This is not something that we can sit on for the next hundred years and just go, oh, well, you know, it's a few rotten apples. No, it's procedure and policy and law and structure. And it's something that needs to be addressed and not go through six years of discussion in the state mm -hmm. to try and maybe get some help. It's people are suffering and when you suffer and you go through that, that can lead to violence, that can lead to worse things. And that's why we see huge things like human trafficking in San Antonio, like gang violence, like issues where people get shot because mm -hmm. it's fear. It's, it's this lack of trying to understand each other. And that's, that's my soapbox, I'm off it now. All right, uh, we didn't get any questions from listeners. 
which honestly is probably for the best because I think it would uh, send us down to Tangent Town. What are you talking about? We've been in Tangent Town. We set up our own like mayor's office. Are we co? Are we are we gay co co mayors of Tangent Town? I mean, I I'm okay being like the assistant mayor if you want to be the mayor or vice okay. versa. <laughs> like, have you seen all those towns that have like their mayor is a dog? Yes. Yes. I kind of. I would kind of like that. I think there's somebody in Montana who owns a bunch of land and then he just like named his cat the mayor. Yeah, that sounds great. Okay, so I'm going to talk a little bit about the text in Ralph Ellison. I'm going to try and do this quick because I know we've been on for a while. That's yeah, fine. Uh, so he was born March 1st, 1913 in Oklahoma City of all places. Ew. Um, Ralph Ellison's dad really, really liked the writing of Ralph Waldo Emerson. So he named his son after that writer. Allison's dad was a construction no. foreman. I know, and I'm like, oh, come on, no. better writer. Anyway, yeah. Allison's dad was a construction foreman, and, and he died unfortunately at a job site when Allison was only three. So his mom ended up um, having two very small children to raise. Um, she worked as a domestic servant in a house and would bring home magazines for Allison to read when he was a kid, and that kind of triggered his desire to become a writer. Mm-hmm. When he was older, he found out his dad had actually hoped that Baby Ralph would someday be a poet which is interesting. No, it's not. It's not interesting? You named him after. Oh, okay. No, it's not. So his mom moved them um, to Gary, Indiana, because she thought they'd have a better chance of surviving to be adults in the North. Um, Mm -hmm. But she couldn't find a job, and they were living with her brother, and unfortunately, he lost his job, so they had to move back to Oklahoma. Um, Ellison did a lot of odd jobs, including being a shoeshine boy, bus boy, waiter in a hotel, and an assistant to a dentist. He got free lessons from his neighbor's friend's dad for trumpet and alto sax, Mm -hmm. and he practiced a lot in the school band. He ended up being in charge of the school band at one point in time because he wanted to be the next Duke Ellington. Um, He worked for a year to get money for a down payment for his own trumpet, and he played with local musicians. He also played football in high school. Good job. Um, His mom got married three times after their dad died, but Ralph also had to step up to help his family to keep them going with odd jobs because Mm. it was never really like solid with everything going on. Mm -hmm. Um, He applied twice to the Tuskegee Institute, which was like the all black university at the time. Um, I have some family that's alum from there. Awesome. Yes. (laughs) Um, It was actually founded by Booker T. Washington. If you don't know who Booker T. Washington is, read about him. Um, so Ralph Ellison got into the school. Mm-hmm. He says that it's because evidently they needed a trumpet player for the orchestra. Um, to get there, he had to hop multiple freight trains to get to Alabama. Mm-hmm. So um, Tuskegee, unfortunately, wasn't all it was cracked up to be. He thought it was going to be very, very focused on as a black community, but it was really super class, con- class conscious. And since he was from Oklahoma, he kind of felt like an outsider. And he used this outsider feeling in Invisible Man when he writes about school and the conflict with the dean. He mm-hmm. ended up leaving without enough credits to graduate. So he's just said, peace out, I'm done. Yeah. Um, he did get a lot of reading done when he was at school. He really liked things like Crime and Punishment as well as Jude the Obscure. And he discovered how much he liked the idea of an antihero. Mm-hmm. Um, supposedly, he really liked taking apart electronic equipment like radios and um, putting them back together and he said that that actually helped him form his approach when writing novels of here's all the pieces how do I put it together that's cool Um, he moved from new or he moved to New York and was living at the Harlem YMCA 
which we see a lot when he's talking about the men's housing mm-hmm. um, in, in Invisible Man. Um, he ended up meeting Langston Hughes and Richard Wright, which mm-hmm. influenced him heavily. Um, he got introduced to Black writers. Now, Ellison um, and, and he were comp- or, and Richard Wright were complicated friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, they became friends and Ellison ended up writing a review of one of Wright's books. And he's like, hey, you know what? You should start writing fiction. And he's like, I can do that. Um, mm-hmm. Richard Wright was openly a communist and Ellison was like, this seems really interesting. So he started writing for communist papers, but mm-hmm. both of them left communism during World War II because they're like, well, this isn't doing anything for black people at all. No um, false. So Ellison ended up meeting a stage actress named Rose in 1938 and they got married. She continued to act even after they were married, which was not typical for that time period. Mm-hmm. Um, but their marriage ended after Ellison admitted he had an affair. He went and joined the Merchant Marines, which is likely why we have that character in the book who keeps talking about, don't even bring up the Merchant Marines. Mm-hmm. Um, Ellison married again to a woman named Fanny McConnell, who was one of the founders of the Negro People's Theater. Mm-hmm. And she ended up supporting him financially while he wrote in The Invisible Man, which, or while he wrote Invisible Man, not The. Mm-hmm. What's interesting about that too, is if you read one of the editions um, of the book, like he writes a, an introduction to it. And there's a whole part where he's talking about having an interaction with this drunk woman who's like, what are you a kept man? Because he used to basically walk the dogs and take care of things at home while he was writing. And so everybody in town would see him at home and just be like, what is he doing while his wife is going to work? And it's like that kind of weird, awkward, like he's working his ass off. He's writing a book and she's down. Um, The book ended up getting published in 1952. Mm -hmm. And this is where we talk about the shit ton of awards that this man won and if you look at his bibliography it's not very long there's like four major things in it Mm -hmm. Uh, invisible man won the 1953 u.s national book award for fiction he got a state medal from france he received presidential medals from lyndon b johnson and ronald reagan who are both extremely conservative um he was gonna say racist but okay i I was gonna let you do that anyway (laughs) (laughs) i was gonna say i was gonna flat out say both were racist but okay and johnson is from texas so we yeah so we know so ellison was the first black man to be admitted to the century association he received an honorary doctorate from harvard in 1975 he was elected to the academy of arts and letters oklahoma city has a library named or named after him in 1984 so 36 years ago he won the langston hughes medal and in 1985 the national medal of arts there's also a stamp of him that some collectors may still have. I don't think it's around anymore. Um, unfortunately, he died of pancreatic cancer in on April 16th, 1994. That wasn't that long. I mean, it was, but like not that long ago. We were alive during that. So we, were. we, can, we can say it's not that long ago. But my husband and I have this, this thing right now where he goes, did you know this song is 21 years old? And I just look at him and go, why do you have to be hateful? Yeah, I do the same thing. It's, it's like, hey, do you know the show that you loved as a child? It was like 30 years old now. It's like, I didn't ask for this from you. So do we have to read this in school? I did not. Uh, I picked this one up a while ago. And then Crash Course maybe reread it. So there you go. So we didn't read this one in school. Um, our honors junior year English class opted for Native Son by Richard Wright. Um, basically, we only read one book by an African-American that entire year. So 
Yay. And then of them by women, which I got to tell you right now, if I'd known about Nora Zeal Hurston when I was younger, oh my gosh, amazing. Yeah. Go Tell My Horse is one of like my favorite books. Everyone should read more Toni Morrison. Yes. I'll hail Queen Toni, even though she's no longer with us. She's True. still with us. Okay. No, she's dead, but I'm just saying like, <laughs> she died last year or the year before and we were both like, what the, f no. So, and I know that- oh, Yeah, we killed her. I hope we didn't kill her. I hope we didn't kill her either. Uh, we do have some resources that will be uh, outlined on the website, including like the 15 YouTube videos I mentioned, because yes. that's where I live. And honestly, as we go through, if you hear me typing in the background, it's because I'm making notes to add that into our resources so you can watch it. <laughs> yeah, I YouTube is my house. So I'm always like, oh yeah, there's that one video. And Amanda got me into TikTok, so. I did. I was I was joking around because I'm like I'm a freaking elder millennial I don't understand TikTok but I would get these videos from Amanda and some of my other friends going hey you should totally read this or not read this you should totally watch this and I'd watch it and I'd be like okay that's really freaking funny and I like raccoons yes. so you love raccoons I have to like put a time limit on myself though otherwise because I'll just sit there like taking in that dopamine and serotonin for like an hour I started watching like way too many pimple popping videos but they're so enjoyable. I don't know why. And like, I'm so grossed out, but also like, thank you for the serotonin. Um, our next book will be some Maya Angelou poetry. I'm going to spend probably whatever happens after the nap I take after this, <laughs> picking some selected poems from Maya Angelou because we finally learned how to do poetry, which isn't just throw spaghetti at the wall. Yes, which is awesome. Thank God. I let you be our like museum curator for that. I'm so glad. I do my best. You do well. You do very well. I apparently I'm a decent archivist. The problem is is that I don't have patience to deal with people who don't like read directions. Where it's like, how can I find this thing that's in front of me? It's like use eyes. <laughs> uh, you can find us all over social media, including unfortunately required reading at face on on Facebook. Unfortunately, RR on Twitter, which I'm usually more active on, but uh, I've had pneumonia, so bite me. <laughs> There's no judgment. I just popped some stuff up on like Instagram earlier, so. You're good. Unfortunately required on Instagram and our central hub is our website, unfortunatelyrequiredreading.com. If you want to email us, uh, you can email us at unfortunatelyrequiredreading at gmail.com. Mm -hmm. We're also, if you want to donate to the wine and cheese fund, um, which you're totally welcome to but not required is yes. anchor fm slash unfortunately required reading we also have a red bubble store so if you really want a white tear sticker that's our best seller um that is on our red bubble store and you can find the link to that from unfortunately required reading.com the greatest design i've ever made um i'd like to thank our patrons for helping keep the metaphorical and physical lights on uh this has been a very interesting now almost year of pandemic but uh, we're doing our best and we're glad to continue to bring you all the content that you deserve and that we are willing to muddle through. And if you want to see how things started for the pandemic, listen to our episode of Lord of the Flies, because that was literally the last time Amanda and I recorded in a room together. We sounded so optimistic. We were. We were like, this will be over soon. Except that, you know, 
the government's what? not doing anything and we i sounded, got a few concerns and we sounded so optimistic like you know this is just gonna blow over in a little bit <laughs> oh we were wrong we were so so wrong um stay safe out there everyone there's covid variants out there get vaccinated when appropriate don't go punching out old people to take their vaccines um and just go out there and read a book.